You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. who are rulers over the Gentiles should not lord it over them. We shouldn't lord it over them. We have to exercise the authority over them. But Jesus added his words of a construction. He says this in Mark 10, Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life ransom for many. Jesus is our example of how to serve others. Selfless service. Others center. From the moment you obtain a coveted position or gain a bit of power, there's a temptation to become prideful or to become less and less dependent on God who put you in that position. However, as Pastor Dave challenges you today, ultimately you should model your leadership after Jesus. He exemplified selflessness and love. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 10 with today's edition of A Sure Hope. You are sure. You know, when you shun popularity, it's one thing. But when you shun the call of God, that's a different thing altogether. Many people have been shunning the call of God. They've been hiding from the call of God. Some of you may be hiding from God's call. God may have called you to certain things, to do certain things, and you're kind of hiding, getting lost in the crowd because you're reluctant to go up there. You're, You're either afraid or you're fearful or whatever, but you're hiding from God. God wants to give you a crown of glory. He wants to give you a crown of life. Some of you are hiding from God's call to salvation. Some of you are hiding from God's call to salvation. God wants to give you a crown of glory. God wants to use you. Samuel tries to save the situation by giving Saul his stamp of approval. Look at verses 22. It says, Therefore they inquired of the Lord's further Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, he is hidden among the equipment. He can't hide from God. He's hiding there somewhere, and God says, oh, he's over there in the equipment thing. Go get him. He's hiding with the tractors and the animals and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, I know they didn't have tractors back then, but you know what I'm talking about. I just wanted to see if you were listening. So they ran, and they brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all of Israel. Samuel's puffing Saul up, saying, Look, look, guys, this is the one you chose. He's handsome. He's tall. He's the guy. Come on. This is the one you wanted. This is the one God wants for you. Come on. He kind of admiring his physicality, his stature. Verse 24b. So all the people shouted together, long live the king. Long live the king. They recognized that God had finally given them what they wanted. God had given them a king to lead them into battle against their enemies and to take care of them because they felt that God's care was not enough. 
God's care was not enough. Verse 25, this is the wisest thing that Samuel says all day. He's the wisest thing he did. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty. And he wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his own house. In other words, he said, this is how royalty acts. (laughs) I was reading one commentator and he said, I don't think they talked about how to hold a teacup. How royalty should hold a teacup. I think he talked about what royalty does and how royalty is expected to act. He wrote all this down. And it kind of links the kingship with the divine covenant because many, many scholars think that they use Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 20. Let's turn to there for a minute. Turn to Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 20. 14 says, When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it, say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you, and you may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall be multiplied wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall be greatly multiplied silver and gold for himself. Also it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests and Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So you see, even back then in Deuteronomy, God says, you're going to ask for a king. You're going to ask for a king when you get into the kingdom, but this is what the king's going to do. Don't multiply horses. Don't multiply chariots. Don't multiply wives. He's giving commands to the king. This is what you shall not do. Now, when you read this, when you read this selection, I don't know about you. I know you guys are biblical scholars, but one person comes to my mind. Solomon. Solomon did multiply horses, he multiplied chariots, and he multiplied wives and concubines. He did all these things against God, against God's rule. He also multiplied silver and gold and those kind of things. We know that from Scripture. Samuel reminded the people that even a king should submit to the Lord and submit to the Lord's commands, the Lord's words, even a king. In other words, God was still in charge. This man may have been king, and God may have chose him. But make no mistake, God was still in charge. God was still boss. We we can guess that Samuel was not explaining how it should, should act. Instead, he was probably warning them about the wickedness and the selfishness of a king. Some kings became very selfish. They became wicked. When we get to the book of Kings, when we start reading through that, You read where, you know, this king did evil in the sight of the Lord. This king did evil in the sight of the Lord. This king, you know, all these kings did evil in the sight of the Lord. They didn't follow the Lord's command. They didn't do what God had wanted them to do, and they were kings. What did Jesus say about that? Those who were rulers over the Gentiles should not lord it over them. 
We shouldn't lord it over them. We have to exercise the authority over them. But Jesus added his words of a construction. He says this in Mark 10. Yet it shall not be from among you. For whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life ransom for many. Jesus is our example of how to serve others. Selfless service. Others-centered. This goes against the grain of our our bodies. It goes against the grain of our, our flesh. Our flesh wants to be number one. I mean, come on, folks. We were watching the NCAA basketball championships. How many of the groups are going, we want to be number two? We're number two. Nobody. Everybody wants to be number one. Now, that's the flesh. But we don't lord it over them. God gives positions and he raises people up, but we're not to lord it over people. We're not to to think of ourselves as better than anyone. It's a good thing for us to remember that God is still on the throne of our hearts. He's still ruling and reigning even though we reject him at times. Even when you reject God, it doesn't keep him from being God. It doesn't keep him from being in charge. Just because you reject him, he continues to do his will in our lives even in spite of us. His will will be done in our lives. Verse 25b, they finally shout, long live the king. I wonder how long they've been waiting to shout that. Nation went back to their homes. Saul go back to his home in Gibeah, and men follow him. Look at verse 26. And Saul also went to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. I like that. These were valiant men. Men whose heart were touched by God, who wanted to be with their king to protect him, to serve him, to be around him. These men would become the king's inner circle. And I look at that. And I'm so blessed here at Calvary Chapel that God has raised up men to be around me. And they become ministry partners with me. And I'm so blessed that this happens. Men and women who want to serve him by serving you. Remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. The term minister means servant. We should never, ever let that go past our brain. It means servant. But God has surrounded me with wonderful men and women to protect this ministry and to serve others within the ministry. And as they're serving others, they're truly serving the Lord. And it's a wonderful thing, and I am blessed beyond belief about it. But, likewise... As there are always valiant men and women who come around the king or around in a ministry, there are those who despise. There's always going to be those who despise. Look at verse 27. But some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him, and they brought him no presents. They bought him no presents. Usually when the king is crowned, you come and you bring gifts. They bring gifts to the king. It's an interesting note here. In the original language, in the original King James, these men are called children of Belial. Baal, children of Baal. The word means foolishness. They were foolish. These men, these, the, the, what were these men saying? These men were saying, this farmhand, he smells of cow manure and he's going to be king. All he did all day long was Pile the fields and do all this. He's going to be king. This happens when people are raised up in the church. When people are raised up in the church and they're made to be an elder or made to be a pastor someplace or they teach a Bible study or they they do this and do that, people who despise them go, 
Look at this guy. I know where this guy came from. I know your past, pal. And look at, you know, and, and they despise that. And they come against that. And sometimes I think it comes out of jealousy. Well, if they would seek the Lord with all their hearts, and if they would get on their face before God, God would raise them up too, and they could be used. But see, there can only be one leader. There can only be one person in charge. And God is always in charge. Jesus is the head of this church, but for some insane reason, he made me pastor. He's got a great sense of humor, folks. But for some insane reason, he made me pastor and has given me the authority. But some people want to usurp that authority because they want to be pastor. They think they have a better plan. They think they know better. And that's what happens. These men despise that. And you see that in ministry all the time. And it hurts. It cuts to the quick. It cuts to the heart. It hurts. When you're inside, people are, are taking knives and going, yeah, 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 and you're back and stuff like that. It hurts. These men despised him because he was just a farmhand. I go to these meetings with other pastors. Pastors from around here. Now, I'll never forget, seven years ago, the first time I showed up at one of these meetings, first question they asked me after I introduced myself was not, where do you come from? Do you have family? What are you doing? First question they asked me, where'd you go to seminary? Uh, I didn't. <laughs> I went to Bible college. Oh, well, see, they despised. How dare God raise up somebody who didn't go to an official church seminary. And they looked down upon me. This was happening here. These men were just there. Probably some of his best friends. They were probably some of his bestest friends who he hung out with. Who used to, they used to go and rock cows with, turn them upside down. I don't know. I guess I don't know. I don't know. The movie Cars just hit my head. I don't know. They went cow tipping. I don't know. I don't know. They probably did that together, and now they're saying, who do you think you are? You're king. Get out of here. You're king. That happens all the time. It's sad. It's extremely sad. It's extremely, extremely sad. But the first thing Saul does that we read in the Bible here is magnificent. And I have to say, that I'm a little envious of what he does. Look what he says. But he held his peace. I love that. I think that is fantastic. Saul held his peace. What wisdom. What wisdom this guy had to hold his peace. Saul held his peace. He held his peace. What wisdom. I love that. In Exodus 14, 14, we see Moses doing the same thing. But why? Because he knew the Lord would fight for the nation. The Lord was going to take care of the nation. The Lord was still in control. The Lord was still in charge. And Moses knew that. He had such a great relationship with the Lord, he trusted him with everything. F.B. Meyer, who I really like and I, I read a lot of, a great old teacher and pastor, he said this, quote, the Hebrew as suggested by the margin, is still more striking. He has, was as though he had a deaf ear. As though he had a deaf ear. As though he pretended not to even hear them. He did hear, and every word probably struck right into his soul and probably went right to his heart from these guys, but he pretended that he did not hear them. 
He didn't take their slander. He didn't take their distraction. He didn't take their despising of them. He took it and went right to God. He went right to God with it. I love this fact. Because why? God is the vindicator of our souls. God is the protector of our souls. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. So often we want to rail back. So often we want to strike them hard and strike them fast. Wipe them out. Take them out. So often we want to just get rid of them. And God says, no, don't speak. Don't speak. I'll take care of it. I'll handle it. Oh, would that we would be able to do that in times of of trouble, in times of, of stress, when we're fighting one to another. Saul had the support of the majority of the people. They were enthusiastic that they finally had a king. And they were loving the fact. He had valiant men who were coming around him and guiding him and guarding him. They would go everywhere he went. They had these valiant men who stuck by him real close. Men whose hearts were touched by God. I'm thinking of the first deacons in the church. I'm thinking of the first deacons in the church when, when, the, when the, the apostles said, we cannot serve the widows and follow the word of God in Acts 6. We can't continue. There was a, a, a rile going up because the Hellenistic Greek widows weren't getting their share, so they thought. And the, the apostles said, we can't worry about this kind of stuff. We got to dedicate our lives to God's word and feeding a flock and helping people. So what was their solution? They found six men. Six men, and I can go back and read the qualifications, and one of them was good reputation and full of the Holy Spirit. Good reputation and full of the Holy Spirit, and set them over the tables. Set them over the things. Two of the most famous of those six men, the most one is Stephen, who ended up being the first martyr in the church in the very next chapter, chapter 7. And the other one most notable in that group is Philip. Philip, who... It says a lot about him in Acts, especially Acts 8, when, he goes, when, he, when the big, uh, big revival in Samaria. God surrounds us with men and women of like minds, men and women of like minds. And he builds us and shapes us and molds us into the church and the group that he wants us to be if we're willing to allow him, if we're willing to allow Holy Spirit to move us and guide us and, and flow through us and, and help us to do these things. We can't be resistant. How can two walk together unless they agree? You can't walk in unity if you don't agree. Long time ago, when I first became a Christian and was learning things about the Lord and stuff like that, and I heard someone say, you know, if you can't agree with what your pastor's saying, then the best thing for you to do is leave. So leave quietly. But if you stay a while and you hear and you allow the Holy Spirit to start working in your heart, all of a sudden, you become more pliable. Are you pliable in the master's hands? Are you putty in the master's hands that he can do the things he wants to do with you? Are you the clay that he molds and shapes as he goes through times? And that's what he's looking for, that he can mold and shape the people into the image of his Savior, image of our Lord. That's what's happening here. But even though Saul had wisdom, and didn't regard every doubter or every critic as his enemy. And all the great advantages he has, he could still blow it. He could still make it not work. Is he going to walk in the advantages that God gave him? Or is he going to follow after his own 
way. And in the next few chapters, as we read and get to know Saul, we're going to find out that although he starts out real good, chapter 11, he starts out like a house of fire. Boy, he starts out strong. He starts out trusting in the Lord. He wins his fantastic victory for Israel. Then he starts trusting in his own abilities, and things go south. Things go south. And God acts very fast and takes the kingdom from him rejects him as king and takes the kingdom from him. And that's the scary part for me. I don't ever want to be off base. I don't want to ever be in a place where God would take me out, where God would put me on my shelf, where God would call me unqualified for ministry. I want to have my nose ever on the floor, on the ground in front of him ever repentive of anything I might have done, any sin that might have come into my life, ever close to him, looking for him, following him, learning from him. I want to always be teachable. I never want to think that I know everything and I'm I'm solid and standard in my knowledge of everything. I want to be teachable. Lord, teach me. Fill me, teach me, use me. Oh, how I'm afraid to be shelved. I'm afraid to be shelved and not used by God. It should be one of all of our big fears because God wants to use you mightily. He wants to use his church mightily. He's looking to and fro throughout the whole earth whose heart is loyal to him that he can show himself strong on their behalf. He wants to use us. He wants to use us to bring others to him. He wants to bless us with blessings abounding. He wants to give us everything we want, desire, Our heart's desires are open to him. If we delight ourselves on him, he gives us our heart's desires. Oh, that we would do that. That we wouldn't be like Saul and go by our own way. It's a way that seems right to a man. But the end is death. The end is death when we start following our own way. When we start thinking we have a better plan than the Lord has. It's a dangerous dangerous place to be. Yes, we're going to make mistakes. Yes, we're going to fall on our faces and we're going to get our nose scraped. Yes, we will. We need to pick ourselves up. We need to look to the Lord and continue to follow him and confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to ever press our face towards him. We need to lean into him constantly. What do you have for us today, Lord? What do you want of me today, Lord? What is your agenda for this day? I don't even know as a follower of a Christ. One who never looked back. One who who forgot the things that were behind, the terrible things, the good things, everything, and kept on pressing forward to the goal of the high calling of Christ Jesus. I want to press onward to that goal that God is putting before us. I want us as a church to press onward, to move forward towards God, always, not that we haven't. We're continually moving, but I don't want us to be stagnant. The worst thing we could ever be is stagnant, not moving. You're either going backwards or you're going forwards or you're stagnant. Lord, please, I pray, never let us be stagnant. Never let us be moving towards you. You are We're so glad you joined Pastor Dave Shank today for A Sure Hope. This study in 1 Samuel has been taking you further into God's process of fulfilling promises. 
and it may not look like you'd always want it to. God gave a promise to David when he was young and unequipped to handle the magnitude of what was to come. God still gave him a glimpse to the future though, and we walked with David to help him grow and learn. God's plan included trials along with victories, but he was faithful to David throughout. Right now in our country, we are facing a trial never before experienced. Don't fear, God is as faithful to you now as he was to David. He will bring you through, and you can lean on Him for strength and comfort in the waiting. We'd encourage you to read ahead in 1 Samuel and discover for yourself how God works life out, and let Him encourage you through it. How can we be praying for you during this 1 Samuel study and during this unusual time in history? Please give us a call and let us know at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We are pleased to be able to bring you teachings from God's Word on each edition of Assure Hope. If you'd like to hear more from this series in the book of 1 Samuel, visit assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download, and we encourage you to share them with friends and family. That's all we have time for. Thanks for tuning in to Assure Hope.